Welcome in to another episode of the All-NBA Podcast. I'm Saul Bookman, your new host for the next two days. And joining me, as always, is uh, Legs. Tim, what's going on, buddy? Saul, what's up, man? I'm good. Good to be on with you, man. Uh, this, uh, let's have some fun. No games to cover. Well, oh, no no real games to cover. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, We're going to focus a little bit on All-Star Weekend. I think we're, we got a plan on talking about here this uh, stretch run after this weekend, which I think everybody kind of gets an adrenaline kick and they come out of the break and they realize there's a short sprint the rest of the season getting set for the playoffs. So we're going to talk about some of the key factors um, headed down the stretch here into the NBA playoffs as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get to that that All-Star weekend in a second. But as always, we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Or, I'm sorry, 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Uh, listen, we can get right into it with the, with All-Star weekend. Uh, you know, we're going to touch on the game just for a second. I know it wasn't really a game, but uh, there was something that came out of the game afterwards that I do want to get your opinion on. But let's start with Saturday night. Um, I thought basically the three-point contest and the Sabrina versus Curry uh, matchup was the most appealing of the night. Outside of that, I pretty much could have done without everything else. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, you don't, you know, it's it's too bad. That, you know, you have to be kind of critical of it or just got to be honest about what you're watching. Um, I agree. And I, I've, I've actually felt that way for a long time about the three point shootout. And I participated in it a couple times. So I'm not biased. I, I just think that it's the one thing. Number one, it's the one thing that, you know, everybody that qualifies that's asked to do wants to participate. They want that title. And it's the closest thing to replicate what you do in a game mm-hmm. by far. And so it's it's really the best NBA players in the world, best shooters in the world you know, doing what they do and hopefully putting on a show. Now, some years, the accuracy overall wasn't great. I thought it was sensational this year. I I just – that is what the best shooters in the best league in the world are supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. The three-point shootout, um, that to me is what is the – it's the main event of the weekend. Dunk contest used to be it. Obviously, that's changed a lot. We're going to get into all of these. Um, but no, so th- just as a general statement, and I know we're going to break these down individually, um, I would agree with you. I think the three-point shootout is the one thing that kind of replicates what you know what a, what a real NBA player would be doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything else is sort of this, this simulation that they're trying to create for fans that I, I just don't think really has the appeal. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, the one thing I will say about the three-point shootout, and it's probably the most obvious one, maybe you can make an argument for the dunk contest, but it's it's max effort, right? You got you got one minute, you got to get all your shots in, you can't lollygag, you can't take your sweet time. And that's the thing about it is it's like 
there's a, there's a there's a technique to it. You know, which side of the rack are you going to go to uh, to shoot? You know, players have their preferences and things of that nature. Um, and then the timing. You know, when you get to the to that last couple racks, and you know you only got 20 seconds. You know, that clock starts to speed up in your internal clock and. That's what I. That's what I like about the three point contest. There's a little bit more that goes into it than rather than just grabbing and shooting, right? But then you know, let's start off at the beginning with the skills challenge. I did like, <clears throat> I did like the structure of it. I like the fact that they had three players from the same city, uh, the host city, that were competing against two other groups, uh, younger and and, and older. Uh, I did like that format. I just felt like it was a little too long for my liking. And again, we're talking about effort legs in and these guys are just kind of coasting going through they're not really like giving it their whole effort and i'm not saying they got to you know break somebody's ankles out there but you know i'd like to see a little bit more effort i think that was the theme of the whole weekend yeah i I, yeah definitely that's been again that's been the case every now and then you'll get a guy that goes really hard in that and it's just like an outlier everybody's kind of like oh my god look how hard he's going it's crazy like it's it's a shock to the senses when someone actually busted in that drill when you're going especially the one where you got to go like one end of the court and the other with the dribbling and the passing and the shooting all all combined um so you're right about that the other thing that it's kind of bothersome is like the stuff that they're being asked to do like i run a basketball camp every summer um get about 300 kids in my camp in south jersey and i'm doing it for 15 years and we like some of those drills like the the average camper at my camp could do those yeah and and so that's that that's kind of like i'm looking at that going you know especially like the, the passing thing literally and and i heard kenny smith alluding to it he said basically right when they were starting out kenny smith tnt said if you can't put that ball through a circle that big, you should not be playing in the NBA. Like he's, that was his very first statement he made once he sat down in his chair and he saw them roll that thing out. So, you know, the, the, the precision behind that wasn't great. Um, you had a couple guys that, that just didn't understand necessarily the track and they had to re- retrace their steps because they went the wrong way around one of the imaginary defenders. You know, but that's basic stuff. Just dribbling a couple of times, a soft crossover to get around those two cones and then you shoot a little what like a six foot floater yeah which you know and then you the one the one thing i guess that is different is you know the, the kids at my camp are not going to be shooting accurately from nba three dis three point distance but they get the corner three in and then they dribble as fast as they can the other end they lay the ball in like there's nothing really there that indicates to anybody like this these are the best athletes in the world these are the most highly skilled basketball players in the world yeah. and i don't know how you change that um you know what you would have to do to make that happen um you know you'd have to add some stuff with the ball handling passing make the shooting a little bit more difficult figure out some way to do that but i don't know that guys would want to do that like the whole point is they cater to the players because they don't it's well known they do not want to exert themselves in any capacity and so they everything gets dumbed down for them and catered to them and as a result it's very basic it's kind of dragged out drawn out and you know i think for the most part it's people get a little bit bored with that that's and i wasn't you know i've been in the arena for it when it when it's done it i've seen it live sitting there courtside and then you know last few years i've been watching on tv and I, i just don't get the vibe that there's energy in the building while that's going on at all you know my buddy espo he used to work for the suns and he used to he talked about going to the all star game and how in the arena it's basically dead for the most yep. part you don't really feel it's very rare that you feel a lot of excitement 
Um, that's why when you when you think back and look at the you know the Aaron Gordon versus Zach Levine dunk contest or or even Vince Carter back in the day um, or even going back to to the times where Craig Hodges won three in a row and uh, hit 19 in a row at one point you know that those rare moments are when everybody kind of gets into this and that's we definitely lost out on that this time around there wasn't really any tremendously exciting moment I thought to me the most exciting moment was seeing Sabrina uh, come out. Guns blazing, nine out of her first ten, and I was just like, "Man, is she going to miss anymore?" Uh, so let's get to that—the Steph Curry versus Sabrina matchup. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I, I really liked. First of all, I liked the fact that uh, she did not back down. She went at him. Uh, she shot from his range uh, or the NBA range, and she had no reservations about that because she typically shoots that range in the season. So it was yeah. no nothing to her, uh, and I thought that Kenny and and uh, Reggie made a good point. They thought that when she got through the middle, uh, the first three racks, she was she might fatigue towards the end because she's not in season. Uh, that's kind of what happened. And Steph, obviously, he was kind of the opposite. He kind of started off a little slow, but then he tracked towards the end. I just love that whole matchup. I liked how enthusiastic both of them were to participate in that. Uh, and I thought it was great for the game. I completely agree. Uh, and I didn't know what to expect, really. I didn't know what was about to happen. I knew they were both great, great shooters, obviously, but I didn't, I just didn't know was it going to live up? You know, what if one of them, and it could have been Steph, and the way that she started out making five straight balls on the first rack, you know, Steph's standing there watching that. They got the split screen. He's kind of looking <laughs> at that. And, and I, didn't know, I know he had to be feeling like, whoa, wait a second He's here. Like, <laughs> what number? Yeah, what number is she going to put up? So I, it, one, one of the two could have, you know, could have had, uh, um, you know, an off night. And if that's the case, all drama's taken out of it. As it turns out, you couldn't ask for any more drama. Steph goes to the last rack and he I believe he had to make three out of five, whatever it was. And, and, and he did that um, to beat her, but it was a tremendous show. I think it was absolutely, you know, think about this week really for women's basketball and what's going on with Caitlin yeah. Clark yep. and then what's going on with, with Sabrina in this, in this contest and the, the awareness and the eyeballs on the women's game and these players like stretching the boundaries of what we've known it to be for female players. That's what they're doing. And, and by Sabrina, you know, refusing to shoot from the, the, the WNBA line and say, no, no, if you can shoot, you can shoot. I'm going out to where you shoot from Steph that just empowered, I think, you know, the next generation even more to watch that. That's what it was all about. Sabrina's comments led to that. Everything Caitlin Clark says, you know, even after she broke the record, interviewed her, said the same thing. Her goal, her legacy is to affect as many young players in the state of Iowa as possible. And really, that's nationwide, global. That's how many people are watching what Caitlin Clark is doing right now. And Sabrina basically had that platform. That's that, that event is seen all over the world. And she had a platform for, for young female players of what is possible with uh, just repetition and muscle memory and work. Yeah. And you can do that. So I thought it was sensational, and I'm glad that we got drama out of that. The last thing you want in a one-on-one -on -one shooting competition is to, it to be a blowout because yeah. that's just that defeats the entire purpose of setting up the event, right? Um, and so they didn't. They gave it. They gave us that. They gave us. Uh, you know, she gave him a run for his money. And if she yeah. didn't cool off a little bit on that fourth rack. Uh, who knows? But she did get a little, I don't know if it was fatigue or not, but, you know, everybody's going to probably hit one rack where they don't shoot particularly well. And that was it for her. And that kind of did her in. And then Steph had to capitalize on it as 
as only Steph can, you kind of know the whole time he's going to get to the number he needs to get to to win this thing. And so uh, he took a lot of pride in it. So did she. Great part of the event. Great addition to the event. There's no question they're going to build on that going forward, whether that's a different female player next year or it's you know a shooting competition, like three versus three. You know, three girls, three ladies from the WNBA, three three men from the NBA, and you have some sort of a of a competition, you know, like that where it's a total score thing. They're going to build on that because the response to it was great, and they delivered. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the The best thing about this whole thing was it didn't feel gimmicky from the start. It felt like you know they didn't they didn't yeah. try to push it too much to try and make it like this Dan versus Dave thing for all you uh, Reebok fans way back in the day. Um, you know, it, and, it, and it felt natural. And then the obviously the progression of the contest itself. Uh, was was simple. And then, you know, to your point, I do think that this is something they're going to build off of. Uh, I think there was a lot of uh, positive reviews for this. I'm excited to see what happens because there's so many tremendous, tr- tremendously talented women's basketball players out there that deserve the yeah. opportunity to be able to 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 be on a platform like this, you know, and the WNBA is, is, has risen quite a bit over the last, you know, half a decade, really. Uh, women's basketball numbers have been crazy, uh, both in the college and the pro game. So I'm excited for for the growth of the sport uh, on that side and and to really be on the same level playing field as, as the men and be able to compete in, in some aspects on, on that level. And I, I just I'm excited about that. Uh, the dunk contest was quite the opposite outside of a Mac McClung, uh, you know, kind of. I, well, I don't know what you want to call it. He jumps over some guy's heads. He loses the ball, catches it, dunks it, which I thought was the best dunk of the night. Uh, the judges completely disagreed. That was about it. That was the only exciting part of the night. I don't know what to say yeah. about that. No, it's, it's yeah, unfortunately. Mac McClung, by far, the, the best dunker that they had on the floor, I felt like. And I think there's always an advantage when a guy's a little bit smaller. And just visually what that looks like and you're trying to wrap your head around the, the, his vertical and it's just more impressive and he does all kinds of stuff you know with the ball blind dunks and and the twist in his body and like all kinds of stuff um you know some of the other dunks you know very anticlimactic i yeah. felt like um you know, Jalen Brown is funny. He did a dunk you know, and then and then did the d brown thing like way after the fact like, <laughs> was very very yeah. strange to me i didn't quite understand that at all um uh yeah they had, he, they had it's like he forgot if it's like he forgot what he was doing for a second he dunked it he was just like oh yeah or <laughs> so, or yeah it's funny somebody i think i know it was kenny or who said it looked like he was sneezing it was actually kind of funny <laughs> but um or he you know whatever reason like he started to go and just realized like he was nervous about not doing it or getting hung on the rim or or what and just you know, just kind of saw it through, and then and then covered his eyes. Uh, it was kind of funny, but no, unfortunately, didn't have a lot. Like I'm the jumping over people dunk has now to me it's worn out. Yeah, it is worn out. It's yeah. it's it's how many times do people jump over guys in in just one competition? And it's one guy, it's Shaq, you know, and then it's two guys, which was funny to me because Shaq, what is seven one. And then they put two guys on top of each other, but they bent their knees down. So I don't even think they were seven one at that point. So you had two guys that were shorter than Shaq. You don't even. But it was like, oh wow, it's two guys. But yeah, but it's not even as high as Shaq. So what what difference does it make? You know what I mean? If you put eight three year olds stacked up on top of each other, you know that that would be eight people, but they're not as high as Shaq. So uh, yeah, <laughs> listen, it's it's uh, I don't know if that did that for if it did it for some people. And again, 
it was weird. It was really strange this year. Look, and I've been in there as well. Like I said, I've not only been there as a participant, uh, but that's a long time ago, 96, 97. I remember the electricity in the building for the dunk contest and the three-point shootout. Now, the year I won the three-point shootout, the dunk contest was won by Brent Berry. And he jumped from the foul line with his warm-up still on and legitimately a foul line dunk. And I just remember the place erupting. And then 97, I lost to Steve Kerr in the finals. The dunk contest was won by Kobe Bryant. And I remember the show that he put on that year and the electricity in the building. And the next day at the game, the game was anticlimactic for me. It was the first one I had been to in person. And I got to go because I was participating for the weekend. I felt pretty good about myself walking in the arena that night, you know, having been the three-point winner. That was pretty cool. <laughs> but the game was – I was like, wow, this isn't what I grew, you know, grew up watching. You know, and I'm not saying it has to be like that, but you go back and just pull up ESPN Classic or something. And look at a, a, an all-star game from the 80s. Mm. And, and and it's like, like dudes are banging, you know, forearms in the back in the post and like hard contests and going to the rim and like, you know, getting fouled and, and guys going to line a little bit. And that's what I remembered. And so sitting there live in 96, I was like, wow, man, this is really like, wow. It was like, you know, Matador, like nobody's getting hit at all. And that's, think about that. That's, 28 years ago yeah. and each year has gotten more it's trending more in that direction so think about how far we are now from what it used to be and uh you know the the dunk contest created so much buzz in the building nobody could wait right to get to that moment and i don't know about you but like watching it on tv i was like is something are they muting the crowd on purpose <laughs> yeah. like for television watchers because i literally couldn't hear any cheering and obviously there had to be some cheering going on, but um, if it was just very subdued, it, I think it goes to show you about the lack of excitement that it was creating. So Mac McClung was the best. Hey, at least the guy that was the best dunker won. You know, I, I, that that worked out the right way. I think that was just as he had the best dunks and he should be, you know, a repeat champion. It's just, you know, odd a little bit that he's not in the league. Hopefully he can get into the league. I'm pulling for him. Yeah, I think there's there's – there's a twofold problem with the dunk contest right now. One, you don't have big enough names in it. You know, yeah. uh, listen, back in the day, that was one of the big differences, Tim. You know, like we we had Jordan versus Dominique. You know what I mean? Like you had the big dogs that were going up against each other. Uh, even as, as recently as Aaron Gordon versus Zach Levine. At first, you might not have, you know, they weren't on the same level as Jordan and Dominique. Don't get me wrong. But when they started, then you were like, oh, oh, these two dudes came to play. Like, and, and the electricity in that building after that first set of dunks was on, unmatched except for Vince Carter in 2001. And that's, that's to me, that's, that's one of the bigger problems. Because if you go to the dunk contest and you see a Ja Morant go out there, you're immediately like, okay, let's see what he's going to do. You know, you got a little, yeah, yeah. You got a little riz in you. And, uh, yeah. and I just didn't feel like, you know, that, that's one of the things that's missing. And the other thing is, if you're not going to go that direction, you might as well go ahead and lean into the total, you know, if, if there's a, a, a dunk contest somewhere in the world, you get some guys that just, that's all they do. That's all they know how to do. That's all they want to do. They can come in and put on a show. And then you, you, you can judge them off of that. I, I just don't, you know, getting these guys that some people know about, don't know about to compete in this. It just unless their dunks are out of this world, it's just never going to track for me. And to go to your point about the, the game itself. And the things that have changed, you know, I think this this quote from Anthony Edwards kind of uh, says, tells it like it is. You know, uh, he says, uh, for me, it's an all star game. So I don't think I will ever look at it like being super competitive. It's always fun. I don't know what they can do to make it more competitive. It's always fun. It's a break. 
I don't think nobody wants to come here and compete. And and legs, um, I understand that these guys are multi-million dollar athletes, but the competitive spirit of that comment is probably what saddens me the most. And you know, and and I remember playing against my son, who's now 18, but at the time he was about 15 or 16. We were playing at the park, and it was the first time he ever got a chance to play against me. And you know, and I was giving him the business, and he yeah. called me a tryhard, and I was just <laughs> like. Uh, what well, I'm trying hard to to beat your ass. I don't know what I don't know what, what other way to go about doing this, right? And and that's to me. It, I don't know if it's a mentality shift uh, from generation to generation, but clearly there's been a disconnect in competitive, you know, spirit. And that to me is the most disappointing thing about what I saw on Sunday. Yeah, and you know, I think look, Anthony Edwards is a young player, um, so it's you know our particular generation. I think that is kind of embedded in their heads from the time they are you know fourteen, fifteen, making their way onto the AAU circuit at a high level, becoming nationally ranked players, and then climbing their way up over the next few years before they go do their one and done. It's it's this is what they've been watching. They've been watching this for how many years? Look like this, so. Yeah. You would think like a guy finally gets there and, you know, with the adrenaline of that and, you know, but it, you, obviously you can't be the only one doing it. So that's kind of the approach. The approach now is, and, and Steph actually uh, made some comments about it too. Steph uh, said that basically it's, it's kind of like, you know, guys are just kind of, they look, it's a, it's a grind. It's a long weekend. It's a long season. Other guys are getting a, you know, a week off basically to if they're not involved to go take a trip refresh their body see their families whatever it may be and their the demands on their time over the weekend is, is so much that there's just not much left to give by the time you get to sunday and you know what there's probably a lot of truth in that so my question then i guess is if this is what it's going to look like and, and and i'll be honest with you i've been saying for a while Saul, that this is this game is strictly for kids mm. that want to see all those dunks right and the deep threes and it's you know for a little kid I'm telling you, if you're a kid, like a 10, 12-year-old kid, and you're a serious basketball player, that like you're playing on your travel team or you're playing on an AAU team, whatever it may be, like you, you know, you really love the game. Not even saying you gotta be a great player, but you're super into it and you got you're on a team and you're practicing every day, doing that, that's not even entertaining to them. Yeah. Because it's not real. Nothing about it looks real. It's just and it's boring. It's it's actually even aside from the fit lack of physicality. It's the monotony. Yes. It's monotonous. It's 48 hours. Every trip looks the same. You know what I mean? Nothing's different about it. And I just had an idea real quick uh, before we wrap this up, thinking about um, the dunk contest. And I was thinking, like, you know, if this is how it's going to be and none of the star players are going to do it, it's almost like you'd be better off the NBA uh, compiling the best X amount of dunks from the season and playing those dunks on the big screen <laughs> and let the fans decide. I mean, because that way you got, you're going to have star players in there mm -hmm. and you're going to have star players dunking on dudes that which you're never going to see in a dunk contest. And you're going to have them going as hard as they can. And it's going to be a lot of the, you know, the guys that are in the all-star game and, and then some other guys and let the audience at home vote. Like, however you'd have to do that because then at least you're voting on what real dunks look like, like you know, because because what what it's turned into with no stars doing it, a, a lack of familiarity with some of these guys. You got a guy in the G League doing it. Um, you either do what you said, which is literally have a tryout, recruit the best dunkers from all over the world, 
and put them out there and none of them are in the league or like whatever it may be, or you do what I said and, 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 you know, let, let the crowd say just a compilation of eye candy, best 20 dunks of the season, you know, do a fan vote. You get it down to four or whatever. And then you do it in any show, like another, another round or something of those same guys, whatever it may be. But, and I'm, I'm obviously half tongue in cheek with this, but I'm just saying that's kind of what yeah. people are craving. Yeah. The excitement, the electricity of a star player throwing it down on somebody like, you know, that gets you out of your seat when you're watching the game and it, that element's not going to exist. And until you get the big stars to participate and create real buzz, not just one, like Jalen Brown, like four guys, all of whom, not necessarily all-stars, but like definitely guys we all are familiar with all-star caliber type players. Until you do that, I think you're going to have more of the same, but the game I don't know if we're very close to – I don't know if they pull the plug on the game. Like, I don't know what you do about that. 211 points? I mean, I, I just don't know – I don't know who that's entertaining to. Yeah. They're in a tough spot, the NBA is, because you can't get rid of it because it's a, it's a huge revenue driver. Sure. It just is. So they're not going to get rid of it that way. Um, but at the same time, how are you going to convince these players to really care about a game that really doesn't mean anything outside of uh, your reputation? And, and that's about it. So it, it, it's, it's unfortunate. Hopefully they can figure out a way to do it. They've, they've tinkered with this thing so many different times and come up with the Elam ending and all this other stuff, and, and none of it is really tracked. Even the first year of the Elam ending, you saw a little bit of growth, and you saw a little bit more competitiveness, and then the next year it was right back to where it was before because they were like, I, you know, whatever. You know, it, it, even throwing in a charity element to it didn't ju- didn't motivate these guys enough to, to play at a, at a high level, um, and it's unfortunate. But – the NBA regular season is coming back and the competitive competitiveness is also coming back. So let's go to our next ad read because you're going to want to get your tickets as well at game time by going to game time. Uh, you can get your, your tickets at a discounted cost. I'll use promo code all NBA and uh, you're going to be able to get your, you save yourself about $20 on the very first purchase of tickets that you have. Make sure that you go to game time, download the game time app, by using promo code ALLNBA. Um, <clears throat> and terms apply, again, create an account and redeem code ALLNBA, spell it all out, and then download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Uh, and you might as well go ahead and place your bets on the DraftKings Sportsbook app while you do that uh, because DraftKings is the very best sportsbook out there uh, to be able to uh, you know, place your bets. Uh, to me, you, you got some pretty good odds out there. I think right now to win the Western Conference, I think it's uh, the Suns are at a plus 800. And I think the Nuggets and Clippers are right there at the top at a plus 120 and a plus 150, respectively. Uh, to me, any one of those three teams is probably a good bet. Probably the first two are, 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 the, are the best in terms of the Clippers and Nuggets right now as we speak. But I have a feeling that my Suns are going to try to pull through and, and, and get close again. So make sure you go to the, uh, the DraftKings Sportsbook app by dra- downloading the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code ALLNBA. All news customers can bet just 5 bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text hope ny four six seven three six nine in Connecticut. 
Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boo Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age, uh, 21 or over varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. CDKNG.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming, gaming resources. All right. That's a lot to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, legs, you know, let's get to the second half of the season. The thing that everybody really is most interested uh, in talking about for sure. Uh, I'm excited because I think we have a lot of teams, especially in the West, that are all bunched up. One through eight is as thick as it's ever been before. And I think this last stretch of games is going to be something that we're all going to remember for quite a time because uh, it's going to be very competitive. Uh, you have, you know, the Suns have been surging of late. Uh, you have other teams, uh, you know, the Heat in the East uh, have have seemed to put it together to a certain degree as well. Like teams are starting to rise up uh, and try to make their moves. And as we get to the second part of the season, uh, we wanted to kind of point out five names, players or coaches that we think we're are going to make the biggest impact or we're going to be watching the most uh, in the second half of the season. So, Legs, I will let you start it off. Who is the first person you'd like to bring up? All right, cool. We'll go We'll go this way. So we'll rotate uh, back and forth. And if, if if I say one that you have on your list, then just go ahead and comment and tag what it. I say and vice versa. So we'll start out. I'm going to start with somebody in the Eastern Conference. And I think this one is going to be very, very interesting. So we're talking about, like, the spotlight is on. And a lot of attention is going to be paid because they're going to be have a lot to say ultimately about what happens in these in these stretch runs and these playoff races. And the first one for me is Doc Rivers. I'm going to start with Doc, and for obvious reasons. All right, so he he comes in. And it's tough, you know. I, it, it's I've said before, it's tough being a player, getting traded during the season, walking into a new locker room, new group of teammates. They've got their protocol established in September, and you walk in. And it's very tough for a player to be comfortable and have an impact. It's hard. It takes time, certainly a consistent impact. Yeah. It's significantly harder for a coach. You're coming in and like they have a system in place. They've got play sets, play calls, a rotation established. Every you know, And whether they were happy with it or not, they're 30 and 13, I think, at the time. So you know, they, they're winning a lot of games, a lot's established. They, they decide Adrian Griffith's not the right guy. Here comes Doc. So – you know, you can't judge him certainly based on what's happened, but clearly they hit rock bottom the other night against Memphis. Memphis had a shell of their top talent on the floor. They all those guys were on the bench watching. Um, you would think practically conceding the game <laughs> and the Bucks come in there with everybody and they lose to Memphis. And that's rock bottom right now in this short stretch with Doc and probably for their season. Um, so, the question is going to be now that he gets a week and he, you know, he gets to go and, and, and maybe have some more time to get with his staff and implement. So now he doesn't have his players there for the most part. You come out of break though. You've had more time to analyze what you inherited. What's good. What is it? What needs to change? What's the rotation rotational changes you need to make? What are the schematic changes, particularly defensively? How do you squeeze the most uh, efficiency out of Giannis and Lillard pairing offensively? Right, all these things are on his plate, and Doc, he's going to have to get to work and make this happen quickly. Because right now, a lot of people are thinking the Bucks aren't looking like a contender, despite mm -hmm. the fact they've got two of the best players in the NBA on their team, 
and they went into the season clearly as a contender. And I don't think I saw any list that didn't have them in the top two in the Eastern Conference. It was Boston and Milwaukee going into the season. That's what we all expected. And right now, with Embiid's injury and with the way the Bucs have played, teams like the Knicks and Cavaliers are getting all kinds of light. And they're trying to jump up and grab that void in the 2-3 spot. And the Bucs are fighting for their lives and this is a lot for Doc Rivers to try to figure out and assess. And he is going to not be judged by what he's done so far, but he is definitely going to be judged going forward the rest of the year to see if he can get the Bucks in rhythm, put together a winning streak where they're playing well on both ends. And in, if he can do that, if they win five, six games in a row, again, you beat a couple good teams in there, I'm telling you, all of a sudden, everybody's going to jump right back on and say, okay, that's a contending team because of their top talent. But – they're a long way from that right now. So so Doc's got his hands full, and that's why he was my first choice. Yeah, I agree, and that was also one of my choices as well. Uh, I think taking these players from the known to the unknown is going to be key for Doc Rivers because you know he's got some things that I'm sure he likes in his own system, and he's got to find a way to see how much of that can be implemented with this team in a short amount of time. It's a very very difficult task. I'm not. I'm definitely not. Uh, I, I'm definitely conceding that, but. We're going to see how good of a coach Doc Rivers is. And really, I think more importantly, how good of a manager he is in terms of being able to manage not only the, the players that he has, but also fitting him into a system that he was unfamiliar with until he got here. And, and how, you know, listen, it takes a little while to understand what your players like to do the most, right? You can watch it on yep. tape all you want. But then you hear things behind the scenes. You talk to Giannis off, off, off the court, and you, you start to learn more about your players. And then you want to accentuate that on the court to get, put them in the best position. And I think that is a very, very difficult thing to do midway through the season. Zero time to talk to these guys. You just show up and, okay, let's run it. And it, it's, it's damn near impossible. But because of their talent, I think that will stem the tide at least to a degree, you hope. Three and seven in their last ten is not great. But I don't expect that to continue just based off of their talent alone. I think I think here in the next month we'll start to see some growth from that team, and they'll start to you know move towards that top echelon uh, you know organization that they had been for the last five years. Uh, and maybe we get to the playoffs, and we're looking at Bucks and Celtics all over again as the top two teams. I I would expect that to happen mostly because I know the Knicks improved quite a bit. And the Cavs were making a run, but until I see it in the playoffs, I'm not going to believe it. And uh, that's kind of the way I go. When these guys, you know, the Celtics and Bucks have been battle tested. Uh, Philadelphia, no, no idea if they're going to get Embiid back. It's going to be a little tough sledding uh, without him. So I, I think they're still in a pretty good position to to kind of make their way. Uh, the second person uh, I'll bring up is uh, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal's on my list of the top five players I'm going to look out for, and mostly because of this. I think, you know, everybody saw the the, the quote-unquote big three, and uh, they thought, you know, this might be one of the best offensive teams in, 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 in the NBA. And when he's on the court, they are right up there. They're a top five offense in the league. They, they are as good as anybody out there. But the problem has been, obviously, the injuries have, have caught up from time to time to time. He got injured with the hamstring before uh, the All-Star break, and he's expected to come back here soon. Uh, they are number one in, uh, their number one scoring lineup is with him in it, okay? Uh, and you have Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and then you have Grayson Allen and Nurkic alongside. That's their, that's their number one scoring lineup. Uh, that they put out there, and it scores at a high clip. I think it's a top three overall offense when he's out there. Uh, turnover percentage, 
uh, one of the best in the league as well. It's low. It's below 10%. Uh, that's what you want to see because Brad Beal helps alleviate that pressure from Devin Booker. But the thing I have not seen with Brad Beal, except for on about two or three occasions, is his aggressiveness in attacking relentlessly. And I think there's been times where he's gotten a little too passive and he's deferred. I thought towards the end, before he got that hamstring injured, I thought he was starting to figure it out and starting to be like, okay, I know when I can be aggressive. I don't need to keep deferring to Book or KD. I'm as good uh, as those guys, and I can score at an elite level just like them, so let me be a little bit more aggressive. And that's when they started to click. Um, But unfortunately, he got hurt. So he's the the primary one on this Suns team that I'm going to be keeping an eye out for because I think he's going to have the most impact in terms of their ceiling uh, as anybody else in the league on any team. I'm with, I'll, I completely agree. I'll tag that real quick. I didn't have him on my list, but I like I love this one because I think he is the guy that's most uh, vulnerable and probably the most questions about. Like, I mean, Durant's dealt with his share of injuries too here now over the recent memory, and and, and Booker's had some. But you feel like Bradley Beal has really dealt with some stuff. And, and that hamstring, I agree with you. Like, he came back and he was like, he was you could just tell he was afraid to test it and i've dealt with that injury and you are you just never quite go full throttle because you're so afraid um because it could feel absolutely great but you're like i'm not really going as hard as i can and i don't want to ever feel that again and so you you know you don't get there the efficiency with the three of them is what we've been waiting to see can they be so good offensively that it doesn't matter if maybe they're an average defensive team can they be so good on the other end that you just can't possibly cover all your bases with those three players. You're talking about three guys that can ball screen operate. They can catch, uh, spot up and shoot it. If they're spaced off one of those guys, they can all isolate you. They can all get to the hole. So you've got multi-platforms of scoring from three different guys at an elite level. Most firepower of any top three in the league. So I agree with you. Bradley Beal's the guy that could be stirring the whole thing. And if he stays healthy, that might be that the Phoenix Suns might be a team we're looking at here, you know, a month from now and saying, wow, man, who's going to beat that team? That's possible. Um, my next guy, I go back to the East. I'm going to go with Julius Randle. Um, hmm. I look at the Knicks, and you know, they were already becoming this hot story prior to Randle's injury. They acquire OG Ananobi. They they just don't miss a beat, man. He's a perfect fit for them, much better than R.J. Barrett. So they got that one right. And then the injuries hit them right before the break, and it wasn't just Randall's. They had to feel like everybody was hurt. Mitchell Robinson was still out. Dante DiVincenzo, who was absolutely unconscious for the last, you know, like six, eight games, he get he gets hurt right before the break, misses that game against Orlando. Brunson's out there by himself trying to do it. They lose. You bring in a couple guys too, Bogdanovich and Burks. They have really just gotten their feet barely wet with this group. So now coming out of the break, you're going to get Randall back here, whether it's right after the break or shortly after, whenever that's going to be. And then finally you get to incorporate Bogdanovich, Burks, and Ananobi with Randall for an extended period of time alongside Brunson. And that's a team that is so deep and has so many other additional guys to score now you, you figure they're going to be relevant. They're going to be they're going to be a team that can make a serious run in East. And it comes down for me to Julius Randle providing consistent production alongside what you're going to get out of Jalen Brunson, and not having a series where he really struggles to make his jump shot, or you know they're taking the ball out of his hands and he's just not getting to his number. He's had moments like that in the postseason. He needs to rise above that. And even with all this added depth and talent, it's great that they got more options. The bottom line is you got two guys that are going to win their matchups physically, and they're going to be the guys that generate that offense, and it's Brunson and Randall. So 
And I think I know what I'm getting out of Jalen Brunson now. He's a known commodity. I have no doubt. He loves that stage. He loves that light. Julius Randle has to play big in the biggest moments down the stretch in the regular season for seeding. And then, of course, once you get into the playoff series. I feel like every great player has a either a, a, a move or a spot on the floor that they feel like when they are struggling, they can go to to try and get back on track. And Julius, from time to time, forgets that. And, and his inconsistency shows in those moments. It's like he just he tries to be a little bit more perimeter-based than he, than he is down low. And from time to time, he kind of loses himself within these games when, when things start to go awry. And I totally agree. Uh, he, is, he is definitely – he has the most potential to really raise that organization to an Eastern Conference championship or even get into the NBA Finals. But, man, when, when it, it starts to go south for him, uh, he really does have a significant impact on that team. And that, that is probably the one – uh, for them, that that is the most interesting to watch. Uh, for me, the next one, I think we both got this guy on our list in the Western Conference, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, SGA has an opportunity to. Uh, he's already in the MVP conversation. Uh, he is the number one player in terms of uh, points per attempt in the league for anybody that has a usage rate of over thirty percent. He he's unbelievable in in terms of shots per attempt. Overall, this OKC team, very, very good. Um, but there's a lot of question marks about how they're – listen, when you get to the playoffs, it's a different animal. And this team has not gotten there yet. They got a great defensive team. They, they, they cause havoc like nobody else in the league. They, I think they, they have the highest turnover percentage on defense of anybody in the league. And Shea Gilch's Alexander is the reason why. He's he's a jack of all trades. He can do them all, all at an elite level. I'm very interested, interested to see how he elevates his game as we get closer to the playoffs, if he's in the MVP race towards the end of the season, how he pushes for that. And more importantly, where does his game go when we get to the first round? I want to see that growth and that development because we've never seen player, uh, a player like him in the playoffs yet. I'm, I'm interested. That's the most interesting I've been uh, in terms of a team. I've watched OKC you know, throughout times this season. They're one of my favorite teams to watch on the side, outside of the Suns. I really am a big fan of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I just don't know when the rubber meets the road in the playoffs how they're going to respond and how they're going to react because it is uh, a different beast for sure. Completely agree. Love the Thunder. Uh, Shea's on my list as well. And you, know, you, you alluded to all the things that he does. There's a very young core group. They haven't gone through a playoff run together. They've done no winning as a team in the postseason. They don't know what that looks like yet. They're going to get into that spot. And whether that's right now, they're a two seed a game and a half back, but you got Clippers and Nuggets right on their heels. I mean, so you're you're talking a game and a half out of four, game and a half from one. That's how tight they are at the top. And ultimately, I think he's one of the top five hardest covers in the league uh, individually, or even from a team's schematic standpoint trying to stop a guy because he's so good with the ball. He's got an incredible start-stop ability that makes it really difficult defensively to keep him contained. And then he's got a stop-on-a-dime pull-up mid-range that is just as lightning quick from stop to release as anybody you're going to see. It's 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 outrageous, and it's his go-to. He can get it off anytime he wants because it's impossible to time it right as a defender. And he's going to shoot that prior to that second line of defense or prior to a, a, a trap. That's that's why the luxury of those guys that have those lethal mid-range shots that they can get off whenever they want, it's a critical part of winning in the postseason because teams are going to come up with traps and schemes and ways to get the ball to your hands. And this can be something you can utilize before that action takes place so you can still stay included in the offense. 
So this is all that he brings to the table. But here's what here's to your point and mine, why we think this guy is so spotlight worthy. Look at what the West might present. You could be a two seed if you're Oklahoma City, and you're going to play potentially, if it started right now today, they're going to play a red-hot Dallas Mavericks team mm. who looks like they got some stuff figured out with, with Luke and Kyrie. Kyrie's back right now looking joyous, and we know he goes through stretches where he's super invigorated and he's unstoppable, and then you know something happens, he gets a little disinterested for a stretch, whatever. Who knows what these last 25 games hold for him, but – Right now, he is rolling, and then they went out and they got better. I think they got significantly better. They added Daniel Gafford is a guy that can give them at all times now, along with Lively, a big, bouncy guy in the middle that can defend the rim and run and get lobs from Luka. Um, I thought it was just a you know really important acquisition, and I think P.J. Washington in this situation is a better fit than Grant Williams. Grant Williams was just not having the impact. I think P.J. Washington is more versatile. He's going to eat up those minutes. So they got deeper and better, and Kyrie is rolling I look at the Mavericks as a really scary team. So what if you're Oklahoma City and that's who you get in the first round? Well, you know what that's going to mean? It means that Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they can't win that series unless he is the best player in that series. Yes. And you're talking about two of the best players in the league. So that's the level to which he would have to take it. Like, he can't just be good and their team be good. If he gets outplayed by Kyrie and Luka, it's, it's a wrap. So mm -hmm. that's the pressure that's on him because it's not a normal two seed to get a team like that. You could also, by the way, end up with the Lakers in that spot. You can end up with the Pelicans in that spot who have playoff experience together. So it's a gauntlet for these top teams that haven't won together. Minnesota, Oklahoma City come to mind to play teams like that. It's almost not fair because that's what the West looks like. It's topsy-turvy. It's upside down. And that's why Shea is so critical. He's going to have to deliver against a top flight a talent and top flight team potentially right off the bat series one you're going to have to bring it and be the best player in that series and that's why i think he is so critical yeah absolutely i a thousand percent the other thing about shay before you move on to your, your next guy is um his his stride and his length is also the separator between him and other other guards in the league because he can get his shot off just about at any point in time i love i love his versatility um as you pointed out but legs who else do you got Next guy for me, I just talked about him a little bit, is Kyrie Irving. I'm mm. going with Kyrie because – and he's proving it right now. When Kyrie Irving is is engaged and super interested in what's going on, he is as good an offensive talent as they have in this league, and he's proven it now. And he's in a, that super comfortable lane, right, which is next to the center of gravity. Next to the, next to the center of the universe, like he was in Cleveland originally. Won a championship in that lane. You know, went to Boston, and they asked him to be a leader with some young talent up and coming, and he didn't want really a part of that. He's like, wait, wait a second now. I just, I just want a ball. And problem is those guys were so young, they needed him to elevate, and he didn't really have a taste for that. Mm. Then he went to the Brooklyn, and we know what happened there. That was a complete disaster, dumpster fire from the beginning with chemistry and with injuries. So now he's Dallas, and guess what? He's back in that same lane he was in when he was in Cleveland originally and he's very comfortable there because he doesn't have to answer all the questions all the time he doesn't have to be the guy that sets the plate for anybody just go play play next to this guy and go be you and you're going to get plenty of opportunities because luca gives it up go be you and be spectacular and they've got two guys doing that and right now that's what they look like and that's why i think they can be scary but he has to stay invigorated engaged interested and and like ready for a two-month run um, which has been a problem for him a little bit. 
So that's why I think he's so critical because I think he's that good. Oh, he's the most dynamic guard in the league when he's locked in, for sure, uh, a million percent. I, I just his, – his overall game, I would say pound for pound, is better than anybody else in the league when he's locked in. I, I mean, from, from the and, – and every single level, at the rim, mid-range, three, doesn't matter. He's damn near unguardable. And, uh, again, that, that balance between him and Luka has been interesting to watch over the course of the, the last, you know, year. And in the playoffs, again, we haven't seen those two in the playoffs. And, and I don't know how that's going to work when things starting to tighten up. You get to a half-court battle. And, you know, how, how does the ball movement work out for those two? Um, it's going to be very interesting. His counterpart, uh, LeBron, back in Cleveland, uh, is who I'm going to talk about next because LeBron to me is the one that I'm looking at. Listen, he's coming, he, he's he, he's almost 40, and he's playing out of his mind for his age, and he's still one of the best players of all time, still one of the best players in the league as we speak right now. And the Lakers are in a very interesting position. They've won seven out of their last uh, seven out. They're seven and two in their last nine, um, and they've been playing. They've been putting it together. They've been playing pretty good ball. I they're sitting right now in the nine seed. They're trying to make their way up, uh, and they're going to have to because I don't think that they can afford to do the play in again this season because that's just that's just too taxing for them to try and do that and then follow it up with a one or a two seed that they would have to face in that first round. And it, that's that's tough sledding. Uh, they did it last year. They got to the Nuggets. More prop, you know, props to them. But I just didn't. I don't feel like they are in that position this year. I think the loss of Jared Vanderbilt is going to really rear its ugly head once once they get to the playoffs. I thought defensively he was kind of that that do it all defensive guy. Uh, he do, does a lot of the dirty work. Uh, now that they don't have him for the rest of the season, that's going to hurt them. But they're they are good enough with just him and AD alone to be able to carry the the, the torch to the playoffs. I just don't know if they're going to be able to find that finish line. And then. What does LeBron do after that? You know, is is he going to want to stay in LA? He's got an opt-in uh, for about fifty-one point two million dollars after this season. Is he going to stick around? Is he going to go? We'll get to that point when we get to that point. But LeBron is the one that I'm going to watch the most because I want to see how he responds coming down the stretch of this season. Because typically around this time of the year, he turns it on and he takes that team to another level. Um, I just don't know if everybody else is going to be able to match that level because Austin Reeves has struggled this year. He hasn't played that great compared to last year. He was a big reason why they had so much success in the playoffs. He came up big time and time again. Where's Who's going to be that guy this year? I don't know if they have a third guy that's going to be able to do that. I Look, I like LeBron as well, and I agree with you what you said about the Lakers. Um, this is a different this is a different animal you're dealing with in the Western Conference than last year. They got a Warriors team that in the second round, that first of all took a needed a 50 point game in game seven to even win their first round series. Um, and then you get the Warriors team, and basically they were physically swallowed up by the Lakers defensively. The length, the size, the physicality of the athleticism. The Warriors were a small team. And this was coming off the you know the year before, they had bigger wings, they were smaller. And they were thrown around in that series, and they bottled Clay up. He struggled really badly. He kind of set the table really for this entire season for Clay was that series, how hard a time he had getting going. And it just was like watching it. You just were like, man, like they, they can't. It just doesn't look like it's almost like when you go see an AAU tournament and you get one of those elite teams, and like their first round game is against this team, you know, and you're just like they're so much smaller, and you're like, how in the world are they going to keep this team off the glass or deal with them? Like that's what it looked like against Golden State. And so then you end up, and then you get to the Nuggets, the champs, and you get swept. 
So, and and that was to get to the conference final. They didn't get swept. This is different. Like, look at the top of the West. You're not going to do that. Now, look, you're going you could potentially get some teams like Minnesota, Oklahoma City, like I just mentioned, inexperienced, young. You know, maybe to be a little bit of that all factor some with some guys playing though playing them, but you're not going to physically overwhelm these teams uh, at the top. The Clippers would be in that category. Denver, you know, Phoenix with the talent they have, it's not going to happen. So I think for me. It's a, it's, it. I know you can't ever rule out LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but it's a little bit of a reach for me to think they can become a real contender. But LeBron would be a great guy to put the spotlight on because if they're going to do it, it's going to, it's going to be off of him. They would um, need that. They need that third person. They need that third person to step up. Without that, they're I agree. Done. I completely agree. Um, my last one is a little bit interesting. It, it goes back to the East, and, and again, this is going to be very dependent on time frame. What could be the one like fly in the ointment in the Eastern Conference? Joel Embiid. Oh, Joel, Joel Embiid. All right. So, and I don't know, man. It might get too late, and they might say we can't bring him back with mm. you know whatever five games left in the regular season, and just they'd be too scared. Let's just get to the off season, let this thing heal. I don't know though. It said six to eight weeks. So you know if it's if it's you know six weeks. That's, you know, getting closer to that like late March area and early April and you start playoffs mid-April. Who knows where they'll be at that point because they're not the same team. Are they in a play-in situation? Like, where are they? And look, I, I, I might be completely off base. They might just send him home for the year. They haven't said that. If he were to come back with a decent amount of games left to try to get himself into shape, just think how many? How many? How many? Uh, I would have to say he's got to play probably eight games. Okay. Um, and he's such a differentiating factor because there's only one Joel Embiid, and they have him. <laughs> and they just added Buddy Heald, who would be a perfect complement with Maxi and him. Okay, so I just think that's an interesting one. That's I just want to put him on there. I might be completely off base because he, he, they might have already made up their mind internally, like he's not playing this year. So I just think it's interesting to have a guy that good who I think was going to win the MVP – kind of just sitting off to the side right now. No one's talking about him while his team's a little bit of a free fall. And then all of a sudden he comes back at the end of the year and what that would look like and, and, and uh, having to play those teams at the top, it'd be interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a great point. I, I love that. I agree with that. Totally. Um, Joel Embiid can <laughs> listen. He's one of the best centers in the game. There's only two uh, elite centers in this game to me. And that's Jokic and him. I think Joel Embiid coming back. I, I would tend to agree. I think 10 games is, is probably the, the mark I would, I would point to because you got to get that. You got to make sure, first of all, that you have confidence in that knee on that court. That's probably the most important one. And then the conditioning. I think those two things, if he doesn't have that, he's, he's, they're probably going to hang it up for the rest of the season. But I would I hope he comes back. I really do because I think the Eastern Conference is going to be far much. Uh, it's going to be far more fun to watch if he's back than if it was just the Celtics and the Bucks. Uh, basically, at this point, uh, for me, I'm going to the Celtics. Joe Mazzula. Um, I think if you're going to talk about Doc Rivers and the pressure that's on yeah. him midseason, I think Joe Mazzula has the same kind of pressure, if not more based on year one and the success that they had, but how they faltered at the end of the year against the Heat. Uh, and going in, listen, if the Bucks are struggling the way they are, you are clear and far away the best team in the East. You've got to play like it, and you've got to get to the finals, and more importantly, you've got to win the finals. And that's, that's the pressure on the Celtics right now. Joe Mazzula, I felt like he – I'm not going to say that the moment was too big for him in the Eastern Conference Finals, but I felt like it, it might have been a little overwhelming for him. 
um, in, in that moment. And I, I, I'm interested to see what he learned from that experience, what he's going to take towards this year, uh, and how the Celtics grow and learn from that moment, which I also, I listen, it's not all on him. I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have just as much to do with this as anybody, but as the head coach, you know the responsibility is going to fall on you, and I definitely think that Joe Mazzula has a little bit to prove in not only the NBA circles, but also in his hometown in Boston. You know, to make sure that they understand that he is a proven winner, he can get this job done. And uh, you know, after he replaced um, the the former coach, ah, I'm forgetting his name, uh, over in Houston, um, I, I think I think I'm I'm more interested to see what he's going to do for this team when they get into those pressure moments down the stretch. Uh, and if they should match up with Milwaukee, that's going to be one interesting series. Uh, and the dynamics between him and Doc and then these players and those players, very interesting. I like it. I, I thought last year, you know, the real – look, it's a tough spot, man. He, you know, Ime Udoka is basically removed right before the season. There you go. And so you're you're taking over a team on the fly. It's not your team, and you got to you know he had a whole season and he had a lot of talent. I mean that's nice to you got let that kind of talent, but there's also a spotlight on you when you get to the to late in the year and in important moments. And I, I thought there were some issues late games situations, mm-hmm. um, w- w- the stuff that they went to, um, and he's very very young and going through it for the first time. He's probably learned exponentially from that, and he's got the best team talent wise in the NBA. So. You look at what their starting lineup looks like, the bench contributors, you got four major weapons, five, you count Derek White, five in your starting lineup. I mean, he's got a great team. He's got guys that play both ends of the floor pretty much across the board in their starting lineup. And he's got a year of experience. So I, I think that's fair. I think, you know, that could be something that we're going to be looking at. They're going to be in tight games at some point that matter, like series-defining big moments you know, it's a, it's two one series, and 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 it's you know two minutes to go. It's tie game. Like these these are the kind of moments that sway series, and so we're going to be definitely watching him and and uh, and scrutinizing. It. And I think he's going to be more prepared, more equipped this time around. Yeah, I, you know, every time each each person or coach we've talked about, I keep thinking of their team and their you know and how they're orchestrated and they're constructed. I I keep going back to I mentioned with LeBron and the Lakers, the third person, right? I have a hunch that as we get to the end of the season, when we see whoever wins the NBA championship, it's going to be who is that third person that played the best on that championship level team. Is it last year was Aaron Gordon? I thought was dominant. Um, you know, when he played against the Suns, they didn't have anybody that could stop him. He just bullied them to death. And I thought, you know, along with Jamal Murray and Jokic, he was just as good. Um, in, you know, in being that third person. When you're looking at the Celtics, can Kristaps? Can he step up to that challenge? Can he be that third guy that they can go to? Um, and just so much, so much out there. Very excited. Before we go, Tim, I do want to ask you: give me one team in the East and one team in the West that you're looking for uh, in terms of you know what they're going to do in the second part of yeah. the season. I think I got you know, and this is a different question because this is not necessarily who's going to contend or whatever. Yeah. So this is just interesting to me. Interesting teams, okay, that to keep an eye on and, and could. Could be making some storylines. I think, and for me in the East, it's Indiana. Um, first of all, the Pacers have been interesting to me all year, and yeah. they are only two and a half games out of the four spot. And more importantly, have had a very limited time with Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton. 
because they got Siakam at a time when Halliburton has went through some injuries. Mm-hmm. And they haven't played much together. And I thought Siakam's the perfect complement to him. He fits their pace and style perfectly. The way he, he's got a high motor. You don't have to run plays for him. He just creates stuff out of nothing. He's a he's their second-best offense creator immediately the day he stepped on the court. They also just added some other pieces that you know, Doug McDermott's going to get a lot of Buddy Heald minutes, minutes. He's trying to you know, kind of find his way. I just think their pace and style are really tough to deal with in a regular season. Nobody really plays quite like that. And and so, you know, you could see them potentially now when they get their team healthy and playing more games together. Do they close that gap in the four spot? And before you know it, maybe you know, they're hosting a first-round playoff series. And, and, and again, now dangerous because it's a very difficult style to prepare for. And then in the West, it's the Warriors, man. The way they've been playing lately, I, I know that we want to pull that sheet over them. <laughs> but I'm just not ready to do it, man. I'm just not ready to do it. You know what I mean? I'm like, I still got the sheet there, like kind of pull, taking a peek, you know, like because they're playing better. There's something different with the juice they've had here lately. Now, part of it is Clay Thompson's played a little bit better, and they, they brought him off the bench right before the break. He had his best game of the year. Let's see if that continues. Does he continue to embrace that? Is that something that's effective for them? Pajemski gives them the luxury of doing that because how well he has played as a rookie, and, and they put him in the starting lineup. I think it gives him more – versatility with their passing he's a better creator the ball hops really good and you're not just focused on getting clay going every night i think that's been something at the beginning of the game it's like it's a separate storyline and narrative unto itself and it's distracting this way he can sit there for a little bit feel out the game come in and i, I always call those first six minutes dead weight anyway guys mm-hmm. just go up and down the floor everybody takes a shot then they all shake hands okay we ready to play now okay let's go it's a waste Bring him in. Every minute he plays is meat now. It's meaty minutes. Come on in and get your thing going right away. That's what you're supposed to do. When you start the game, it's harder to get a guy going like that that's been struggling. Um, Kaminga's been great for a long stretch now. I, he's arrived. He's he's legitimately every night now, on a bad night giving you 15, on a good night 25. Like That's where he's at, giving them an energy, energy and that bounce. Draymond Green has played great since he came back from the suspension. I don't know if people are noticing what he is doing, but he is absolutely affecting both ends once again. And then you still have Steph Curry at the top of his game. So I just think the Warriors, they won eight out of ten. Uh, they had won five or six in a row before that last loss. But, um, but now you have a team that I think is interesting. And you know, right now they sit there, they're ten. They are, you know, four games from seven, five games from six. I don't know they're going to catch those teams. But I do think if they continue to play well the rest of the way and stay healthy, that's going to be a very interesting team to have to get in a play-in tournament and potentially get into a best-of-seven in the first round with one of those top teams. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I do, I do have doubts about whether the Warriors can hold up in a seven-game series against you know, some physical teams. Um, you know, if they match up against the Nuggets again, uh, that's that's going to be a little bit of a problem for them. But yes, I, the Warriors are listen. They're squeezing every last drop of the legacy juice right now as we speak, and they're trying to get it, they're trying to get it all out. Uh, I, I I totally get it. For me, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota has has been the best team in basketball for them for a majority of the year. Ant has been playing out of his mind. Rudy Gobert figured it out over there. They have a good solid team. But again, just like with OKC. What are they going to do when they get to the playoffs? Last year, they had the Lakers on the ropes and then blew it, and they they went home. So I want to see how Minnesota responds in the playoffs, how they elevate their play, uh, because they they when they're locked in, they're as good as anybody else as well. Miami is the other one in the East to me. 
Uh, Miami, again, just like the Warriors, you just don't know if they're going to be able to put it all together and find their way down. Uh, their defense has been outstanding the last couple weeks. I think they're like the third-ranked defense in the league this last stretch as they went 5-2. and two. They're starting to get their pieces together. Uh, Jimmy Butler is going to have a large impact on this as we go down the stretch uh, because he always – Seems to you know raise his play as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. But uh, those two teams for me are, are the ones to to keep an eye out. So I like it, Miami, Miami especially because they they you know Minnesota. Yeah, you're right. I mean now it's it's okay. You you're you're there. You've been there all year. You got to deliver the best home record in the Western Conference. Number one seeds important. If you hold on to that, you got the best home record in the conference. Then you got to deliver on that. And um, look, they're great defensively, so I think it gives them a chance every night. Even when they don't shoot well, they have an advantage because they can defend you and keep it to a you know 98-96 game if they have to um, on a night where they don't play particularly well. But they're focused on them. And in Miami, just because it's Miami, I think Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA, and it's hard for me to imagine that they're not to be heard from at some point. We're going to hear from them. They're going to win six straight at some point in the second half here, and everybody's going to pick their ears up and say, oh, here come the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, with another improbable run, you know, and and look with everything they got, all those vets and that coach, that would be a hell of a series if you ended up with the Miami Heat in the first round and you're one of the top seeds. Yeah, when you're talking about Minnesota, good to go back real quick. If the playoffs were to start today, they would uh, they would play the winner. Uh, if assuming they got past the first round, they would play the winner of the Nuggets and Suns. You talk about a second-round matchup that probably nobody wants, <laughs> for sure, that team. Uh, but legs, man, I had fun. First round yeah. uh, with you, man. I really, really appreciate it. Enjoyed it, man. It's, it's, uh, it's you know, with 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 no games, which obviously we do a lot on this show. We had a lot to talk about over the weekend and looking forward down the stretch. So I think I think it was a good show. Thanks. For sure. Appreciate being on here. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you hit that like button on the way out. Really appreciate appreciate you all in the chat. You guys are killing it all all uh, episode long. Uh, until tomorrow at 11, 11.30, we'll be back with Legs, myself. Peace. Like the mayor.